0: Spiers, I'm going to come down here a little closer to the people, because I'm just a people. (laughs) But it is good to see all of you people this morning. I'm glad that you're here. I know we've got a lot of folks out of town with the holidays, and our pastor John Mutate is out of the country this week, so uh, we're we're missing him and his family, but I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, And if you're visiting this morning, welcome. We're certainly glad and excited that you're going to be joining us today, and hope that you get a blessing out of it. Uh, Thank you, Pierce, for reading this morning. Let me get to the right spot here. I'm glad to see that y'all made it through Christmas anyway. No worse for the better, right? But I heard someone talk about this last week, calling Christmas the greatest story that's ever told. And I've I've heard that phrase used a lot over the years, and I've even seen many a Christmas program, a church program, with that title, The Greatest Story Ever Told. And sometimes you just need to tell the story. So think about maybe one of your favorite stories. It probably has a good introduction where we meet the main characters, the plot develops, stage is set. Early in the story, you begin to see a direction uh, of the theme. The characters are developed. You may even begin to see some cracks in the main characters, maybe a weakness or a need. Because you know what comes next. I call it the rub. It's the tension of the story being introduced. There comes a challenge or a tragedy or some great difficulty, a brokenness even, some unsettledness that must be resolved or overcome. There may even be a new character introduced to help the lead in dealing with the tension that he may face. And generally, what's the most important part of a story? A happy ending, right? Everybody lives happily ever after. Stories can be wonderful tools to relate themes and principles, truths about human nature. They can be powerful conduits to learn life lessons. And stories help us to remember. My family had a chance to visit Disney World the week before Christmas, and uh, those folks are masters at telling stories. And they're good at capitalizing on them too. <laughs> I imagine that everyone in here, without much effort or thought, can think of a Disney story or two. And I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you watched one of those Hallmark movies this Christmas season? You know the one I'm talking about. It starts with everyone fairly happy, kind of rocking along, and there's a great potential. And then the tragedy or the difficulty or the challenge strikes. And just when you think it's about to all fall apart, love triumphs, right? And the guy and the girl embrace at the end in the snow. (laughs) There's somebody in my family not immediately present, but who has really got a problem with these Hallmark movies. I won't (laughs) single them out in case they potentially listen to the podcast later. But I remember uh, as a kid loving to listen to my grandfather tell stories. He loved to drink hot, hot coffee, and I would climb into his lap, and beg him to tell me all these stories of great adventures he had experienced in his life. And I can still remember seeing the steam rise off the coffee cup and just hanging on his every word. Have you ever thought about the Bible as a story? I mean, the Bible in its entirety. I've certainly heard people talk about that my whole life, but I never really experienced that for myself still, uh, until a couple years ago I started reading one of the Bible Plans like we, we encourage here. There's copies out on the foyer if you're interested in it. But you know one of those plans where you read a couple of Old Testament chapters and maybe a New Testament chapter every day, and if you stick with it, by the end of the year, you've read through the whole Bible, which is pretty cool. But as I've done that, I've I realized and i noticed the overarching story that the Bible tells there, there is uh, this remarkable flow from Genesis right through to Revelation. It's an extraordinary adventure beginning in a beautiful garden with mankind living in true relationship with an incredibly imaginative and loving creator. And then sin enters the world and the relationship is broken. The pride of mankind and our wanting to be our own God has separated us from the God who created us. But the one true God, as is his loving nature, doesn't abandon us for turning our back on him. He invites us, each one of us, whether we recognize it or not, to participate in his grand plan of redemption, of restoration to himself, and the everlasting true relationship that we were created to enjoy with him. So that story brings us to the text in today's message in Acts chapter 13. We see Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey, and they have come to Antioch in Pisidia, which was the most important Roman colony in Asia Minor. And there was also a large Jewish population in Antioch of Pisidia. So Paul and Barnabas find themselves on the Sabbath, and they head to the synagogue to worship. So led by the elders, the synagogue service would have included two primary things, the reading or recitation of the scriptures from the law of the prophets, and then the lifting of the hands or the blessing of the priests, which was a message followed by the reading of the scripture. So the text says that after the reading of the scripture, the rulers of the synagogue asked Paul and Barnabas, brothers, do any of you have something to add? Perhaps a word of encouragement. So Paul stood up. And it says he motioned with his hands as he addressed the people. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Paul may have said, text doesn't say he said it, but I'm thinking he may have said, let me tell you a story. As I read the passage, I thought a little bit about being in a rowboat. You know how a a rowboat operates? You're actually facing backward as you row to move forward. So you have to look back in order to move forward. And I think that's similar to what Paul does in his address here. He's reminding us of what has already happened in the past, what God has already done, in order to move us to where God is taking us. Paul recounts the story of the one true God who chose a people and made them great, who mercifully provided for them, who had a sovereign direction of their history and a magnificent plan of redemption for their future, which is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He starts with an overview of the history of Israel during their uh, 400-year stay in Egypt, and then the 40 years in the wilderness, and then the 10 years in conquest of the Promised Land, thus the 450 years he mentioned in verse 20. And then there were a series of judges who led the nation, and then the people wanted a king. So Saul steps onto the stage. But Saul was a prideful king. He didn't follow God. He pointed to David, who was a man after God's own heart. And through the lineage of King David will come the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you begin to see the plan unfolding? Paul goes on in verse 24 to mention John the Baptist, who announces the coming of the one whose sandals he's not even worthy to untie. He points to Jesus, our ultimate Savior, who the Jews did not recognize nor understand what the prophets told of him. They found no guilt in him, but asked Pilate to execute him anyway. And the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning him were fulfilled. He died hung on a tree. They laid him, took him down and laid him in a tomb. But verse 30 says, But God raised him from the dead. And there were many witnesses. And one of my favorite, verse 32, Paul states, What God promised to the fathers, He has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. And that's not the end of the story either. Look to verse 38. Paul says, Let it be known that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. Remember that separation, that brokenness in the true relationship between man and his creator? Paul is telling us God's plan to restore that relationship. And he confirms that it is for Jews and Gentiles alike. When he begins his address, he says, Men of Israel and you who fear God. That's Jews and Gentiles. And then in verse 26, uh, he, he says, Brothers, sons of family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. That's Jews and Gentiles. He says, To us has been sent the message of salvation. We're all condemned by the law because of sin. But God has made a way of restoration, of redemption, a way to be justified or made innocent, a way to have a right standing with God. He who believes in Jesus Christ and his saving sacrifice is freed and acceptable to God. This is the greatest story ever told. Good news to you and to me, it is gospel truth. Paul closes the story with a warning, a warning though, In verse 40 and 41 he says, beware, this is not just a story, it is gospel truth. And there are dire consequences of dismissing this truth. It's dangerous to not recognize what God has done in the story and it's dangerous to ignore what God is doing in your story, in your life. On this almost last day of 2018, I thought appropriate to remember. Remember the story of your past year. It may have been a good year for you, one filled with growth and fulfillment. Or it may have been a very challenging year for you, one in which you struggled under difficult circumstances, loss and grief, broken relationships maybe. Either way, I urge you to remember the greater story of what God has done. The promises of His Word to us, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the life everlasting with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I urge you to recognize what God has done for you and to realize what God is doing in you, in your life right now. My verse to close the year of 2018 is Deuteronomy 7:9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps coveted and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So I don't want to leave you with just a remembrance, though, just a looking back this morning, but also maybe a looking forward into the new year to come. I want to tell you another story that Paul alluded to. Do you remember Joshua? First time we hear of Joshua is when Moses had led the Israelites out of uh, Egypt. Remember the 400 years Paul spoke of in the earlier text, and then the 40 years in the wilderness. Why the 40 years in the wilderness? Do you remember the story? Moses was leading the people to the promised land, and as they camped uh, just on outside the promised land, Moses sent 12 spies into the land to check it out and to bring back a report. What did they find? And 10 of those spies were terrified. They came back and saying, oh, the land is beautiful, flowing with milk and honey, but it's filled with giants. These people we have no manner of going up against. There's no way we can, we can fight these giants off. We're doomed. But remember the two spies who said, whatever with that. You know, with our God, all things are possible. Let's go take it right now. Who were those two guys? That was Joshua and Caleb. So the people were persuaded by the ten who were afraid. God tells Moses, if you remember the story, because of the people's lack of faith, they'll wander in the wilderness for the next 40 years. Oh, and by the way, Moses, you're not going to get to go into the promised land either. So guess who becomes Moses' right-hand man? And when Moses dies, takes over the lead of the nation of the Israelites. It's Joshua. He becomes the leader, and he's the one who actually leads the people into the promised land. Now, get this. What is one of the main things we remember Moses for, certainly you think about the story of Moses and the burning bush and the time in Egypt and the plagues of Egypt and leading the people out and crossing the Red Sea. But we also know Moses as the first lawgiver. Remember, he's the one that took the Ten Commandments and brought them down from the, uh, the top of Mount Sinai. So Moses is a picture. He's a representation of the law. He brought the people to the edge of the promised land, but it was Joshua who actually leads them in. And Joshua's name in the Old Testament text is the name for Jesus. It means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua and his story point to Jesus as our Savior. Joshua is a symbol of Christ leading the people into their inheritance. The law could not save the people. It's Jesus who saves. Go back and read Joshua 1 through 4 if you have a chance. It's a great story. And it tells of Joshua preparing to lead the people across the Jordan River into the the promised land. They're camped out on the banks of the Jordan. The Lord tells Joshua to prepare the people to cross over in three days. Can you imagine the weight of the responsibility on Joshua's shoulders? Scholars say the Israelite nation at that time probably numbered about 3 million people. And he was in charge of all of them, and he was about to lead them into battle. He's facing a great challenge. Do you think he felt some anxiety? Maybe. But if you read that first chapter in Joshua, God says four times to Joshua in that first chapter, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for I am with you wherever you go. That's my verse for 2019, looking forward. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God also tells Joshua to spend time in his word. He says in verse 8 of Joshua 1, Meditate on it day and night, and be careful to do what it says For then you will make your way prosperous and have good success. So the opposite of being frightened is being strong and courageous, right? God tells us not to fear. Why? Because he's with us wherever we go. Fear can rob us of so much. The fear of failure, the fear of being in control or not, fear of what others might think. Fear of trusting. Do you trust that God is at work in your life? Do you trust that he works all things for good to those called according to his purpose? Do you trust that he'll never leave you nor forsake you? That he's always by your side and ever-present help in time of need. He is your refuge and your strength. He will pull you out of the miry clay and set your feet on solid ground. He'll lead you beside the still waters and restore your soul. He'll cause you to soar with wings as eagles. One of my favorite verses, 1 Thessalonians 5.24, tells us that he who called you is faithful and will accomplish it. A word of encouragement this morning is that we can trust the faithfulness of God. It is his faithfulness that will accomplish it. His promises are trustworthy. Over 270 times in the Bible, we see accounts of covenants between God and his people. His faithfulness is steadfast. So I hope we'll be strong and courageous going into this new year. I hope you'll take some time to reflect on the past year. Think about ways that God has demonstrated his faithfulness to you. Choose to meditate on his word more this coming year. Trust him more and more and more. Think about the greatest story ever told and share it with someone else. I hope we'll move into 2019 with a renewed and bold spirit, not a fearful one, because our trust is in the Lord God. Let me remind you of those two verses one more time. Deuteronomy 7.9 Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And looking forward, Joshua 1.9 Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how I thank you for your provision for us. How you have carried us through this past year. Even when we didn't know it or realize it or recognize it. But we give you such thanks, Lord, that you love us. That you pursue us even when we turn our back on you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the great plan of redemption and restoration that Jesus brings to us. Especially as we celebrate this Christmas season and and move into a new year, I pray that we, we certainly do receive Jesus in new and fresh ways. May he be real to us, Lord, so that we can serve and share. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen.